All right. Yay. It worked. Look at that. I'm learning stuff. Okay. So all you got to do is do the bumper where you say, hey, this is Alex and Lex. Really? Alex Alex and Lex. This is Alex and Lex. I've been renamed. I can't look at your name and say it at the same time. So the Skype the window X's. has got the Alex, Alex, and Alex and Lex, Alex and Lex. I don't know why I do that. Allison. You know what? It happened. I was on a telesummit, and, and the same thing happened. She called me Alex and Lex. That's awesome. And it's when the, I used the to, X is there, and it's like it must be Alex. It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know what to say. Just say it. <laughs> this is Alex and Lex, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer. That's right. Um, I can say it again a little bit better. If you you have like. to say it really cool. You got to right. say like, hey, this is Alex and Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, go, do it. Now, are you, do you only have listeners on iTunes or do you have a website too? I have a website too. All right. Is it vroomvroomveer.com? Yeah. Okay. Now I got to make sure I don't say my name wrong. Um. It's Allison Lex. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Hey, this is Allison Lex, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer at vroomvroomveer.com. Woo. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. All right. I can do another one on iTunes. No, that's fine. You're cool. I don't know. I think but you, you should say, this is Alex. This is Alex. Alex. You, put your URL in there. Okay. From rockyourmarketing.com. All right. And you're like that. All right. Hi, this is Allison Lex from rockyourmarketing.com. And you're listening to Room Vroom Veer. Yay. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Alexon. Just call me Alex. Your Alexin, name's Alexon now. Actually, you know what's really funny is um, when I sign my name, I typically use my first initial and my last name. Alex. Which is Alex. That's awesome. So I am Alex and Lex. You are <laughs> Alex and Lex. It's, it's a thing now. Now I'm just going to have to call you Alexon. All the time. <laughs> all the time. That's it. That's all right. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Dave Sanderson, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be with you and your audience today. So you are a speaker and an author, and uh, your website is davesandersonspeaks.com. And um, your big deal is you were on a plane uh, that uh, did an emergency landing, and that was on the 15th of January, 2015. So uh, 2009. Yeah, 2009. 2009. Hello. <laughs> Why I had 15 on the brain, I don't know. Yeah. 2009. Wow. And um, so that's... 
basically where your life is now, like uh, everything after that, that moment, right? So talk a little bit about what you do as a speaker and an author. Well, well, thank you once again for having me. So I, I candidly, to be be very candid, I never expected that I would be a speaker and most especially an author. I, I was had at that point in time, I was 23, 24 years into a 30 year career in sales and marketing had been, had done pretty well. I've been working for a few different companies and excelled at each one, primarily in the technology market space and consulting market space. Okay. But that, uh, you know, so in addition to that, I was a head of security for a gentleman named Tony Robbins. Oh, I so heard I had, of him. I had a chance to travel and learn and absorb everything that he taught. But more, more importantly, I think he, not only him, but the people he hung with, which right. is really fascinating to hang around somebody like that and the people they hang with. Because right. you, know, you, <laughs> you learn a lot of different perspectives and start questioning some things maybe on how, you, how you've yeah, done. Yeah, because and those guys, guys like Tony hang out with folks like presidents, right? Presidents. <laughs> I uh, he definitely hung out with presidents, people like Pat Riley, right? You know the, the CEOs of Sony and people like that. That right. can't you know, you never Branson, have access. They hang to. out, right? That's right. They they party yeah. together and I know go to basketball <laughs> and they fly to Vietnam together and <clears> do their <throat> treks. And so I uh, but I uh, being able to um, have that perspective in addition to you know uh, you know what I learned in my entire life. When that happened to me on January fifteenth, two thousand nine, it brought a whole different level of thought process. Where, candidly, you know, when I when we, once the Captain Sullenberger did his amazing job of getting the plane down in one piece, getting out was a whole other thing. And that's why I try to right. tell people it's you know getting down was tremendous, but getting out took a whole lot of different skill sets from a lot of different people. Right, so that's right. so that's when everything that I learned sort of sort of came into play, and all my training kicked in. And every, all these different moments you know, in my life mattered. That's how we came up with the, my moments book title, matter. Moments Matter, because all these right. moments in your life that you don't think mean anything or add value to you, all of a sudden add up to a point where you can use something you learned 30, 40 years ago. Right. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I really talk about is because um, you know, back in the early 1990s when I was relatively young into sales, still had a few years under my belt, but yeah. – Still trying to. I found this gentleman. He was a. He turned out to be my mentor. And candidly, you know, at that point in time, you know, I was. I, I used the term. I was pretty self confident in myself. My my wife would use a different term. Uh, <laughs> she probably used very cocky because I was doing all right. You know, you were yeah. young. You're, yeah, you're yeah. Doing all right. You're making a lot of money. But yeah, this gentleman. He dressed. I met him in a, in a Howard Johnson restaurant. And we started talking, and you know, he was probably 30, 40 years older than me. He was probably in his 60s then, wore mm-hmm. a flannel shirt, and you know, drove a pickup truck. Right. And Canley, you know, I thought he was just a good old boy from Charlotte, but found out really quickly that he was probably one of the wealthiest men in Charlotte because he owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. And, mm. and, and he was like the, the uh, Sam Walton of Charlotte. Okay. But he, he took interest in me. And wow. Wow. In addition to everything that I was learning and experiencing and making mistakes in my life, yeah, he was giving me life lessons that so I could like like you know you may have heard compressed decades into days. I used all the decades of his learning and I could use them in days to execute, and that's what happened to me. So and he that's sounded I, like he sounds like he was, 
giving you humility lessons. <laughs> Most definitely. He, uh, you know, because when you think, and that's one of the things I talk about half on the plane, and one of those lessons sort of came to play because, you know, there, on that plane, there are a lot of people are probably very self-confident in what they did in their businesses, right? They, they right. fly to New York. They're pretty good. We're all pretty good and do this. But the one thing I talk about and the lesson I learned is, and I implemented was checking my ego at the door where everybody had to check their ego because when you go down in a plane crash, one thing you learn is the guy next to you, whether he's black, white, gay, straight, wherever it may be, you're all the same. You're mm. all going down. That's and, right. Uh, you're all in that plane literally together. <laughs> and no wow. one, no one's better than anybody else. If you don't check your ego at the door, it could be, it's the difference between life and death. Mm. So going back to, 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 you know, the meeting Bill and working with Bill, he taught me those, some of those life lessons when I approached him. And I think that's, that's when my life started taking, you know, a slight veer because I started learning things and implementing things, which helped me immediately back in the nineties and early two thousands. But once the plane crashed and right after that is when my life took a total veer in my life. Right. That's a big and veer. Obviously. It was right. And, you know, not only did I survive. And you already had a very cool life if you were working yeah. for Tony Robbins at that point. Yeah, so, I was so a that... sales manager, sales manager for a company my name was Oracle. I was traveling oh, around wow. the country, making yeah, that's, money, that's right, doing my thing. Mm. And also, uh, I was with you know Tony doing my thing on weekends and vacation time. So, and I, but one thing that I I was neglecting and I didn't realize till after that was my family. Where I was driving, I've, I I I used the model of my dad. Mm. My dad's model, when this is back in the 60s and 70s, right. where the father went out and worked. He made the money. He earned the living. The mom stayed the home to care of the kids, right? And and he did what he had to do to do it to support the family. Well, that was my mindset. Mm. But then when I was doing that, you know, financially, we were okay, right? We weren't hurting. Right. We had right. a house. But I I was neglecting a lot of time with the family. Right. So this was a, a veer in my life. One of the biggest veers in my life was the recollection or the realization, more like it, that I needed to really refocus my time priorities, where schedule my time and focus around my family and them, and kind of prioritize of a little bit better. Prioritizing around me, right? right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, you know, one of the things that I don't talk about a lot, but that night in the hospital, there's two of us that stayed at the hospital that night in New Jersey, Barry and I, and. Yeah, the only person that called me that night was Tony Robbins. Really? And he's my company didn't call me. They didn't check in with me. No one else. But you know, I got nobody in your family that, even got. Well, I talked eat? to my wife later that, that night because she was getting inundated in Charlotte with media. Oh, so she had right, her own right, right. Thing deal she was dealing with. Gotcha. But but, but you know, as he, far as like he, professional reach outs, yeah, Tony was the only right. Yeah, my company didn't reach out to me. Wow. But he did and. We had a long talk that night. He talks about that on the YouTube, about our conversation that one or two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. But it, it helped me start reprioritizing. You yeah, know, Tony I, seems I'm, like that kind of guy that, that, um, that like sort of like time, you know, I got to go to bed. That sort of stuff yeah. doesn't even enter in as to his mind. It's like, no. my friend needs a contact now. Right. right. Regardless of what time it happens to be. Yeah, you get well, that, yeah. that sort of friendship in the military, too. So I get that. You're in the Air Force. You realize that. I mean, right. working with Tony, we work till three, four, five o'clock in the morning. Right, right. And you know, on nine eleven, dude, he can just. Do I was with him on nine eleven, and yeah. um, oh wow, yeah. You know, Where him were up. you? We were in Hawaii at one of his events, and okay. I woke him up. I was a screw director then. I woke him up at three thirty in the morning to, to let, let him know. know. Wow. 
Okay. And so we were up all night. So yeah, when you get to have those kind of interactions with people, they, you know, you find out who your friends really are. Yeah. That's a bond. That's, that, that really is a bond. I remember, you know, um, let's, you know, before I start pontificating, let's go back and get a little bit of, uh, of some of your superhero origin story. And I'll let you start wherever you want. But usually lately I've been asking people, what were you like in high school? Who did you hang out with? So I was very athletic. Okay. I was the uh, multi-sport lettered guy who was who was very good at all sports. Not great or outstanding at any, but I was mm, I your general athlete jock. Type. I was yeah. good. I was a jock. And mm-hmm. in addition to that, I was in the top you know twenty twenty people in in my class and grades. So I was a smart jock. So it right. was uh you know I I in high school I would say I was probably pretty self-confident in myself uh, you know once again i i was i was in, in the in crowd and i was doing had a lot of friends but one thing that stood out and i i even wrote about this last week was more in junior high school when my dad got transferred from ohio to virginia and i was a new kid in school in seventh grade and, mm, and that's it, rough and it was rough because you had to acclimate you're going to a and new seventh school grade is like an awkward period for everybody anyway but what sort of made my bones yeah. at that school, and then later on, it was something that you know I, I was always a fan of Captain America, and you know, okay. and, you know I grew up I got his comic books because one thing I always liked about him is he didn't like bullies, so right early, early in seventh grade because he was, was a little wimpy kid before he yeah. got bit by a super oh wait and that's somebody else <laughs> before he so, got zapped by evil scientists he was a little wimpy kid right well and so you know I always I, I loved the comic books right sure. so. In seventh grade, you know, I met another boy who was physically and mentally challenged. Okay, and and he um, and you know he and I be I befriended him because I was a new kid in school. I was just looking for anybody to befriend whoever, right? I was the guy because I hadn't established myself yet. But some kid picked on him, and I asked the kid to back off, and the kid took a poke at me. And then I, you know, I was an avid. I picked him up and threw him into the lockers. <laughs> and you know, I was a new kid, right? Like you know, so right. I. And so I got called to the principal's office, the assistant principal's office, and he thanked me. He said, really? I appreciate you sticking up for him because no one does. Wow. And I didn't get in trouble. Oh, wow. But he, the other kid did. And so that was sort of reinforced, number that's one. That's a good that story. I wasn't, right. That's, I wasn't that's pretty be, rare, actually. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Usually you say, I did the right thing, and then I got in trouble for it anyway. <laughs> and today, nowadays, I would have been going to the principal's office, been suspended and expelled probably, from school probably. Probably. Anybody but, involved. Uh, you know? But I, that sort of started a couple things, Jeff, for me. Number one, you, know, you do the right thing you know, at the, at the moment's notice, whatever mm. that is, do the right thing. And second, no one was messing with me, right? No one would mess with me at that point. And I was, right. on, you established so, yourself as somebody right. that's gonna not take any crap. So I was an athlete. I established myself and it canly, you know, the right thing was embedded in my mind. So you, you look back at, you know, we talked about now fast forwarding to 2009 when I came to that point where I had to, my mom, talk to me when I was ready to get off the plane and said, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. The really? Right wow. thing. She said that yeah. to you before you got on that plane? She she was passed away. She's, she oh. had died. And she would tell me that when I was a kid. That, you know, do yeah. the right thing. You'll do be taken right care of. Just yeah. Do the right thing. Which reinforced, excuse me, over and over, right, to me over my life. So making the right, doing the right decision, whatever that was, was ingrained in me. Mm. So that started back really probably in seventh grade for me when I made that move. And Kaylee, I probably, you know, like I said, today I would have been in the principal's office and, and expelled. But back then, people respected <laughs> people doing the right thing. Sure. 
So, um, which, you know, being in the military, you know, it's unfortunate. It's getting rarer and rarer because you're judged politically for doing the right thing. But yeah. that's what, you know, yeah. but, you know that's why we, I really we have uh, like lost our way in a lot of ways yep. in a lot of uh, public institutions. I want to say too, like for me, um, in seventh grade, all of sixth grade, there were these two bullies that picked on me. And so, you know, I was familiar with them. You know, we almost had that George yep. and Sam kind of relationship. Right. So I was the, I, I was getting, I was the one getting picked on and seventh grade, I hit back. And, and that was a big lesson for me that as soon as I hit back, I only had to do it like once or twice on, in, on each of these guys. Um, they, then they stopped bullying me. You know, there was no principal's office. This was all just hallway antics, right? Right. And these guys were the kind of dudes that were just sort of like, you know, trying to figure out where they were in the pecking order, (laughs) right? Like all male men do, right? right? Uh, Male energy. Yeah, right, right. See, so I think now as I look back at that, I had a big brother. So I I was sort of like conditioned to respond in the submit mood <laughs> mode, right? Just because I had no, I fight was not in, in, in an option because he was three years bigger than me. Um, but when I had to establish myself in seventh grade, it was pretty exciting, right? That moment when you stand up for yourself for the first time, it was like, wow, man, I wish I would have done that a year ago. <laughs> right. And you're right. We don't get, we don't let kids do this anymore. Right. Everybody and, gets in trouble if you if any any sort of altercation. In and I've got kids. Situation. You're right. I, yeah. I part of the mistakes I probably made with my kids is I don't let them grow up doing things like that. You know, you have right. to step in, unfortunately, and parents step in too often. And yeah. that's why, you know, one of the lessons out of this whole thing is, you know, as I grew up, my when my daughters graduated from college, my dad gave me 30 days to get out of the house. He said, <laughs> you get a job. Right. And, you know, and, and when I didn't have one, he went out and found one for me to get me out of the house. Right. So I told my kids the same thing. I got two of them right now who are gainfully employed on the, on their own because I held that same standard to them. But that's good, which, though. It was a re- exactly right. I think it was good, even though my wife thought I was a little harsh. It is and, a little harsh. Know, it is. The, the world's a little harsh. It is harsh. And the world, <laughs> as we're seeing right now, you've got to stand up. Harsh. Yeah. It's just you, a little bit. So, <laughs> No, it's a little, it's a more than a little bit. But I've learned that um, when, when I, I, I'm only going to apply this to myself because I can't apply it generally, but I do what's necessary. Have you found this to be true? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, w- so if we, if I'm trying to grow in a certain direction or do something new or, you know, stop a bad habit or get a job, whatever, you know, I only do what's necessary. So the trick is, is to, if there's this thing that's not really necessary, how can you make it so? Mm-hmm. So you did that for your kids. Yeah, I, I believe that. And <laughs> I think you created that necessity. That's that. right. You and said, well, look, this is a binary thing. Yep. <laughs> you have 30 days to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, I came to play two, three weeks ago again, where my daughter wanted to get a new apartment and she wanted me to co-sign for her. I said, no, I'm not. You're 22 years old and I could be 23 in a month. You know, it's time to put your big girl pants on. Right. And she at first got mad at me, right? Because I mm-hmm. always took care of that. And uh, my vowed until she got out of college that I would. That was my responsibility. But once you're out of college, you got to start growing up. And, and unfortunately for me, 
the lady down the street who, who's sort of a grandmother to my kids talked to her and said, it is time to grow up. Don't ask your dad. If you can't figure it out, if you can't pay for it yourself, don't do it. And she figured out how to do it. And I, 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 I think her. it was a great lesson for yeah. her. And it reinforced once again to me that how, how my, excuse, my dad grew up and how my dad taught me to grow up is still the basics. I mean, like, like I said, sometimes a little old-fashioned is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Doing some things, there's some basic principles. And that's what Bill taught me going back to early 90s. Some of these lessons that he learned back in the 50s and 60s that made him a multimillionaire. Right. It gave me the life lessons that I needed to grow as a leader and these things. And that's why what happens, I tell people, what happens through your life, don't discount any moment because it's put there for a reason. Mm. You know, something, you know, you know, something is put there to make you push through it for a reason. And if you back off, you'll never know how far you can extend. So when that moment comes and the moment I use the word, Jeff, is personal plane crash, that everybody in life's got their own personal plane crash, whether that's a a health concern, a car accident, fire, flood, whatever it may be. Right. What's going to happen in that moment? is going to basically be all the culmination of everything you've learned in your life. And the one thing that I tell people now is those with the humility to prepare will have the confidence to execute it when that moment comes. Mm-hmm. And you got to be able to prepare for it. And that's why the mil- I do so many talks with the military, fire, police, because they have to do all the preparations to be able right, to be able right. to have that confidence. And right now in this country, as we're finding out, you know, people are pushing back. And that's why I honor the policemen so much because they, they have the humility to do what they have to do. And still take it. And now we have to step up and step up for them to so be able to support them. Let's go back in time again a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And talk a little bit about what you did in your college days. Yep. So so in college, I was sort of, that was my feeling out period because, Kenley, you know, I, I went off to college. I wanted to play football. I hurt my knees, so I couldn't play football. So now I'm a washed up ex-jock having to find my way. Oops. So yep. and, <laughs> that wasn't, my, that wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't. And my dad drove down and gave me the come to Jesus talk about, you're not going to be a pro. You're not going to be an athlete. You better get an education. And by the way, you got a C average. And if next year at this time you have that, I'm not paying for your education. Oh and crap. That's what happened. So you had a I whole had, new set of necessities in front of you. <laughs> that's exactly. So I had to grow up very quickly because right. I was on the on a pathway where I did end up the first year, like 2.5. So he, wow. he did not pay for my education. I had to pay for it myself. Mm. So I had to figure that out with loans and all the things you had Jobs, to do. Now, back, right. Of course, back then it wasn't 25, 30,000. It was maybe five to 8,000 a year, mm. but Still, I had to figure that out. My dad gave me that hard lesson. So yeah. college for me was, you know, I was awakening, but I, one thing that I look back, I wish I would have done tremendously different is I tried to keep up with my peers. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I had to keep right. up. So therefore, you know, I, if I had, they were an IZOT shirt, I went out and I had to get an IZOT shirt so I could be, mm-hmm. you know, Keeping feel that Jones's kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 And that was something that Kenley, I think pulled me back and, and basically made me regress mm. because I wasn't living myself. I was living for somebody else's expectation of me. I figured and, something out on that, you know, because that, um, I had another guest on. And she talks about how our brains are wired a lot like mammals in, insofar as brain chemistry goes. So what you're talking about there really goes to when, when I see somebody appear, uh, uh, they, they almost seem like that's a competition. A, a, a mm-hmm. male still still they're still playing the same one-upmanship sort of game that serotonin game it's like right. i gotta be better than that guy right so testosterone game exactly yeah, right exactly so i don't fault people for playing that but good on you for figuring it out on, at, at a young age that you know 
that's that's a game you can play, but it gets expensive. <laughs> it got expensive, and Kaylee, I didn't figure it out till the day after graduation from college. When all right. of a sudden, I don't have a job. I'm nobody again. I'm back at the bottom of the totem pole. And by the way, I probably burned some bridges because of the of, of the way I probably acted and was perceived because of trying to keep up. Right. So right. I had to start over again, right? So college was a great learning experience for me. And I, now I look back at it. I have great relationships still back from my college days. I love, I'm on the board of directors of the college of oh, wow. the alumni association where I'm very honored to be around. But it college for me was one of those that it was, it was a come to Jesus time for me. It sure. was a slap yeah, across yeah, right. the face. And, uh, but I succeeded in four years because you know what? I made it a must because my dad didn't pay for three years of my college. Yeah. Which so, is, you know, that's again, a blessing in disguise, really. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, for sure. That's why, each, that's why each one of my kids, Jeff, get some college. I have them get some college help because I want them to have a stake in the game like my dad made me have a stake in the game. Cause, Amen. Because these are the lessons that my dad taught me that Kaylee I hated at the moment. Oh, yeah, of course. But but it made me grow up very quickly. Let me so, ask you this. Now, before you hurt your knee, were you on yep. sort of like the full ride sort of situation? No, I was walking on. I was given a walk-on opportunity to play. Okay. And it happened in the summer. You know, that summer, I busted my knee. Where I went to school is James Madison University. They had the first AstroTurf field mm. in, the, in, the, in Virginia. And it was slick, and I tore my knee up. And and, you know, I basically strained my knee ligaments, but when you're a walk-on and you have, you're already on the bottom of the list. Right, right. And you had nothing to add as you're hurt, you're not going anyplace. Gotcha. So it was, it was very quick, quick realization for me. Football's over. <laughs> football's over. Basketball, right. you know, I'm probably not going to make that track. I'm probably not going to fast enough or can sh- put the shot far enough to be and able to do that. And so. tearing up your knee, that takes, it's a, there's a long recovery curve on that too, yep, right? It was, yes, it was. And, yeah. you know, I was at college, had a crutch. I mean, it was one of those things where God, I think, put a stopgap in for me. So, okay, right. slow down. Right. Slow right. down. Get your act together right now because if you don't now, you're not going in the future. Yeah, that's and, what that's what these moments or these veers do for us. They right. They provide us these opportunities to take a step back and wake up a little bit. Because before that, I mean, you can't see that coming, you know, and no. you think everything's just going forward and fast. You're, bullet, you're bulletproof. You're bulletproof. Exactly. You're, you're <laughs> Superman. And you know what? I've never been drugged down before. And by God, I'm not going to be drugged down now. And all of a sudden, Pop. you find you're and, – and, and that really sort of came to me in my senior year in high school when my mom – you know, we were watching a football. I've never talked about this. We were watching a football game. It was the Gator Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was a big Ohio State fan because I had a friend, Arch Schleister, who was the quarterback at Ohio State. Okay. And I wanted to go play football at Ohio State. And after what happened in the Gator Bowl and, you know, Woody Hayes belting Charlie Bauman and, and you know, he, him getting – my mom said, you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? You need to go to a small school. And that's why I went to that time Madison. And yeah. then all of a sudden I found I was a small fish in a small pond, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because – you're already now you're at a different level. So my mother started giving me those those lessons, right? Mm. Um, so I think I, t- I tell these kids and youth when I talk to them, it's all these lessons that you learn, all these things that add up because that moment comes in your life and you it's critical, it's crucial. It's, it could be life or death. It could be uh, you know I'm making money or I'm going to be devastated. You all these things if you don't take them and learn from them, you know you may take make a very poor choice. And all of a sudden, it could affect you and your family for the rest of your life. And that's so true. That's what that's what happened to me on the plane. That you know, after I got off, I had a choice to make, and a choice was given to me. And you know, some people questioned me, but I was like, 
I think God gives pathways to everybody, and he, if you don't take the pathway he opens up, he may never open it up again to you. That's true. So I Man. took a pathway, you took a pathway, I took a pathway, and it all serves us one way or another. Amen. So what was your first job after college? I was, my first job is when my dad helped me get the job was in restaurant management. And candidly, I didn't know anything about restaurants. I didn't want to know anything about restaurants except to go <laughs> eat and eat. But you know what? Making $15,000 a year right. in 1983 was seemed like a, a pretty good deal. And I had a job and I was out of the house. So I accomplished all my dad's goals. You know? <laughs> None of mine, because I was in international business. I thought I was going to work for the CIA and go overseas and be that you know James Bond kind of guy. Right. right. And now you're managing, uh, well, you're working in a restaurant. I don't working. Know. I'm basically yeah. I'm an assistant manager. I'm the only guy doing the midnight to 8 o'clock a.m. shift, right? Wow. So, that's That's got to be a, a hard job. Like, I mean, people don't realize just how hard a job that is. It is very difficult, it but is. you learn a great skill set of not only skills you learn for personal, but leadership skills and management skills. Right. And, You're dealing um, with all sorts of people that don't want to come to work and that's right. filling in yeah, your shifts and making sure everything's there. Yeah, that's, Solving problems. Right. You know, right. Solving problems. And that's, that's another lesson that I don't, I've never talked about, Jeff, is, you know, that's that, even though I look back at that, I look at it back at fondly right now. I hated every moment of it, but it gave me so many <laughs> skill sets, right? Right. About, because I have, I, I, I tell a story what happened, and this one this is a culmination of my restaurant experience. And was when, when Howard Johnson was purchased by Marriott, okay. and I, so I, yeah, I was put on the team to go roll out or upgrade Marriott, Howard Johnson's to Marriott's restaurants. So my last stop there was Vienna, Virginia. And I was the first assistant at that point. I wasn't the head man because I, I was still in that growth mode. Okay. Um, but I had, it was, it was Christmas Eve and lunchtime. In Vienna, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., and all heck was breaking loose, right? I mean, everything was breaking loose. Everybody was home, going out to eat, and Marriott's headquarters are in Bethesda, Maryland, which is across the river from D.C., Okay. and all of a sudden, Bill Marriott and his entourage go out and visit stores around the holidays and thank people and do all that, you know, gripping and grinning stuff that they do. Okay. Well, they came to my store on Christmas Eve when all this stuff was breaking loose. (laughs) Right. Oops. And also I look up and he's approaching me. Right. Yeah. And he came up to me and introduced himself and said, said, do you need any help? And at that point I had to make a decision. So I say yes. And he thinks I'm a failure because I can't deal with it or no, you know, because you're and a man and <laughs> the man. Right. And so I, so I said, sir, I, I, I could really use somebody drop us some fries. And I just said it like that. Like, you know, like he's not going to do it. Right. Well, he, he said, okay. So he went back, got his apron on, started dropping fries. Wow. And all, all of a sudden, here's Bill Marriott. This is yeah, the number he's the man. guy. <laughs> right. His entourage is standing there looking. He's like, boys, go out and bust some tables. Guys, get out there. Help. So That's said, awesome. I, I, I busted. So at the end, when everything calmed down, he came out. We had a little talk. And he said, he told me, he said, you know, my name's on this building. You're never, you're never too good. Right. Did you think it's amazing? He was that humble. To, he was very humble. And that's why I always remember. Go, go like apeshit. You know? <laughs> it, it, my manager, I'm sure my manager and district manager were probably thinking later, this, this, I can't, this guy can't handle it. Right. But, right. But taught them a lesson too that you're, yeah, his name was on the building. You're never too good. So when there's times that needed to scrub toilets or bust tables, mm. I was never too good to do anything. And that, every job I had since then, back in 1983, 84, 85, when I was in that, in that mode, I would do anything. The Air Force because, was good at that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scrubbing toilets is not a bad thing. Oh, no, not I'm, at all. Not at all. Man, I I remember literally like looking forward to those days when, uh, you know, because 
most of my time in the military, I was doing sort of like heady stuff, you know, like problem solving, right? And like, you know, herding cats is what one of my uh, my favorite commanders used to say. You're constantly herding cats. It's like taking like these disparate groups and putting them together at the same time and letting them fight and hoping thing, good things happen. That was sort of like uh, a recurring theme of what I was doing, herding cats. Um, so when I had like a whole day of duty that was just labor it was amazing. <laughs> I was like, man, I want to change jobs now because this is just, you know, it's immediate gratification. It's fun. Uh, you're done. At the end of the day, you get a little bit of a workout. I'm like, man, maybe I made the wrong choice. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because my dad had 30 some years of experience in sales yeah. and management. And he and he he was part of the, the first big age discrimination lawsuit in the country because okay. they, they whacked him and a bunch of guys over 30 years. Mm. But he started bagging groceries at Food Line. This is a guy who's had 30 years of ex- management experience at a big company. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, that was the happiest time of his life because oh, he didn't yeah. have to think. He could be around people. Yeah. And, you know, he said he said he learned the other side of the equation where, you know, there's more to fulfillment of life than just having to go on the road five days a week. Yeah. And, and he misses all the family time. So th- that's why I, this is a great conversation. I've, I've never told these, these background stories, but all these things led up or lead up these moments that led up to that moment of, I had to make a choice and decision to make. And I, ho- I hopefully I made the right decision because I did, I think I, think I did, did the right thing. <laughs> and now it's taking me in a whole different world where I'm getting to meet people like you and around the world that I would never have this opportunity because of all the choices and moments in my life that mattered. And I, and I learned something from them. And that's, that's, I guess that's the big point I really want to point out to the audience is you don't discard anything in your life. The toughest day of your life is going to be the, probably your best day. Hey, man. And I, I, when I got fired from one of my sales jobs, he and I just didn't get along. And I, the first time he met me, he said he had to hand me a, a commission check for $63,000. And he looked me in the eye at that moment, and we were in Stone Mountain, Georgia, the resort. He said, you'll never make this much again. And wow. that's the moment I realized, you know what? We're probably not going to get along. <laughs> tell a sales guy, you go cap my income. That's not the good thing to tell a sales guy. Right. And six months later, he and I had it out, and I was gone. And at that point, I was pretty devastated. I never lost a job in my life, mm. but it was the great best day of my life because I never would have gotten to the next next point without getting whacked out of that job. I've so, heard that story before. Yeah, this where that must be a, a one-upsmanship sort of guy pissing match yep. scenario too, right? Yep. Yeah, most I, I've heard that before, where like somebody does really, really well and kicks ass and number one in sales, and then one year they hand you a trophy, and the next year they screw you and fire you. <laughs> right. I'm like, exactly. what? <laughs> well, a little known fact about what happened in 2009, Jeff, was, you know, this happened to me right early in the year, but it was halfway through the sales year. I was the number one sales guy for our entire part of our company that year while all this was going on. Okay. And, and I don't tell you that to impress you, but impress upon people that, you know, when you're facing your own personal life crisis and challenges, it's when you step. That's when you step up and, and start. You can really come from just being being great or excellent to be outstanding, mm. because you take that one or two percent difference. Because you just you're focused and you start doing the right things, and it comes back to, back to you in bundles. And that's mm. what's happened to me over a number of times. Because I, you know, I, all the things in my life that I learned were there for a reason and put in front of me for a reason. And my family never, I wouldn't say never very rarely bailed me out from, mm. from a situation. They made me step up and handle it, the adversity, 
whether it was a personal one or a business one or, you know, my first car, my dad sort of got in my face. I went out and bought a Datsun 280ZX. You know, and you know, it was a great car and I thought I was the coolest guy and it was in Washington, DC. I drove it back and he just, he gave me those life lessons. He looked at me and said, hey, that's a great car. He goes, you know, by the way, we could do for insurance. Mm. And I was 22 years old. I said, I don't know. He said, call Ken. So I called Ken the next day and found out that I could afford the car, but I couldn't afford the insurance. Ugh. And he gave me those life lessons that, you know, you made a poor choice, right? Right. Recti- now rectify while you're young before you get too old and you can't do anything about it. Mm. So, I mean. I, I'm going off on a lot of tangents, but these are the stories I've never told because this is what led me to veer, make that veer move in 2009. All yeah. these things. So let's let's go to that day, but before you know, what was that day like? Say, like when you get on the plane, it's just an ordinary day, or n- nothing extraordinary. Got done with business early because we start our day at 5 a.m. We were working in a distribution center in Brooklyn, New York, so that was open at two o'clock in the morning. We started early because we wanted to be in there when all the action was happening and early right. in the morning. So we got done at 10 and my, uh, my normal business routine was I'd always take the last flight out, direct flight out, wherever time it may be, just because you don't know what's going to happen that okay. day. Right. So the last flight from New York to Charlotte direct was at 5 PM. Okay. So I had that flight, but I got done early, called the travel agent worker and she put me on the flight. So I truly believe I was supposed to be on that plane for a reason. Mm. But there's nothing extra. It was 11 degrees of snowing, right? And I, I gave up a first-class seat on 5 o'clock for seat 15A in, in coach on the, uh, you know, on the flight 1549. Okay. So I, you know, another part of I tell people that is, is I was put in that seat for a reason. You know, I should have been on a first-class seat. I probably would have been one of the first people out you know, if something happened on that flight. But I was in coach for a reason, right. you know? Everybody was in their seats on that day for a personal seat for a reason. Mm. Everybody stepped up and had to do what they had to do. So nothing extraordinary about the day. Nothing extraordinary for the first 60 seconds of the flight. But 60 to 70 seconds is when you heard that big explosion. And, of course, you're in New York, you heard an explosion. You know, first, I didn't really think too much of it because I saw fire coming out beneath the yeah. left wing. It's, it's after 9-11, you know, yeah. several years. So, yeah. But it's so, still you know, in the back of your mind. Back of your mind, but it's like, you know, I fly, I've flown so many times, fly a hundred times a year. If a plane loses its engine, they'll go back and get another plane, right? right they got right. they got one engine, but no one knew at that point. No one on that plane knew at that moment that it happened on the left side where I was sitting, also on the right side simultaneously. That's wow. a billion and a one shot. It, you might, you might happen, boom, boom, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, two explode. We heard one big loud noise. It mm. happened at one time. So everybody wow. thought, okay, the other side's okay. Uh-huh. Which, which we should be able to like land at least with one, yep. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You only need one engine, mm-hmm. right? So that's uh, that's when everything started um, happening. But still, at that point, no one was really startled at that point in time. So, okay. So until Captain Silver came on and said his famous words, you know, this is your captain, brace for impact, is when everybody started thinking, okay, this isn't good. I never heard that command on a plane. Wow. And can't they, uh, we're <laughs> over the river. Captain. Brace for impact. Yep. Yikes. And we're, we just cleared the George Washington Bridge by about 600 feet. Mm. So it wasn't, it was close and you had straight nose diving into the ocean or to the river. Right. So it's like, and so the only thing that I could think of in, you may have seen these, these tapes of planes hitting water, they just topple. Mm. Yes. You know? Right. And, you're toppling into New York City. You're toppling into Hoboken, New Jersey, and I tell people that's a bigger. That could have been bigger than 9/11 because mm. you imagine a plane of an Airbus size toppling through Manhattan during rush hour. Yikes! You're now wow. you're looking at multiple thousands of people. Wow. So 
it was, you know, but that was the moment where I think, you know, everything I, like I said, learned and trained for started coming into play. My mindset changed where I had to start managing my state of my mind. I had to start talking to myself in a different way. If I made it down, how was my game plan to get out? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things started coming through my mind over that next 60 to 70 seconds before he crashed into the river. So were, did everybody in on the plane totally freak out? No. Now oh, really? that was the saving grace. Wow. No one, nobody it was panicked. So quiet. You go so quiet, you hear a pin drop. Wow. And the only time you started hearing things was after we hit and people started getting up and moving. Mm. And still at that point, people didn't get out of sorts. People were, people were respectful. And the term Calm, I've used, right? Yeah, it was controlled chaos where okay. things are happening, but no one's losing it, right? Oh, that's awesome. And that's pretty surprising. No one's jumping actually. over people and pushing people out that's of the like way. That's the exact the- opposite of the story that you might see in a movie that wasn't true. Well, I contrast <laughs> that with the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. They crashed that plane from Orlando to Atlanta. Yeah. You know, and everybody was going chaotic. Going bananas. Right. right. It didn't happen that way. Right. People were, very, people were moving. I'm not saying it wasn't ever standing still looking at each other. It was happening. Right. But no one was pushing people out of the way and shoving people and getting that, get out of my way. Everybody was mm. working with each other. And that's why I tell people one of the big lessons out of that day is check your ego at the door. Oh, because, for sure. You know, you know, if you think you're better than anybody else, you should be off the plane first. Is when you're going to be the off the plane last, and you and you're, you're 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 challenging not only yourself but other people's lives. My big check question your, is is did the did the folks sitting in the emergency exit row do their jobs? They did, and I've talked to both of them. <laughs> you know, I'm not 10F, and if you talk to the gentleman who's in 10F, he'll tell you he he didn't pay attention to instruction. Who reads the brochure? Right, right, right. Everybody says yes, but he said what happened to him was I'm sure it happened to the other side. I didn't chance to talk to that person was when this was going down. The flight attendant came by and said, "Read the card, know how to get the door out." And all of a sudden, as we were going, he, he says, "We were going down." I was reading that card to make sure at least I could get the door out. But then. The other part of the equation that people understand is after the impact, right? You survive the impact. Mm. Now you got to get the door out, but you've got all of a sudden you got you're in the river. The water's water pressure on the door. So not only do you have wow, to right. try to get the door out, but you got water hitting the door, right? Mm. So you got water pressure, the door, the excitement of what's going on, and you're not going to float forever. Yeah, and <laughs> I give those guys a nice. ton of credit. Give those guys because if those guys don't get those doors out, now you're down to two exits instead of four exits. Right, right. And that's a whole different, now you're talking a different world, a different game. Because mm. you, you know, have a lot then, of people that need to get off that plane ASAP. Right. Yeah. Because water, water coming, came in immediately from the mm. bottom and back of the plane. Right. So water's, you know, ankle to waist deep, depending where you were on the plane. Okay. So now you yeah, you got 30, 36 degree water coming in the plane. You're anywhere from ankle to waist deep, depending where you are. Oh, wow. And it's going down in the, in the plane in the back. So of hypothermia going, is a real deal, like right I had, away. I, I had hypothermia. That's how I was in the hospital for it. So I, my body temperature was 94 after they finally got me to the hospital. Oh, oh my goodness. Yikes. So, wow. I was pretty cold that day. You were pretty cold that day. Wow. Okay, so so where did you end up? I ended up in Jersey. No, no, no. Where did, where did you end up? I, 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 oh. I'm still on the plane. Where, yeah. where, were you on one of the emergency exits? No. So what happened oh. was, when I, like I mentioned, when I got to the door, my, I told you earlier, my mom started talking to me. Mm. And oh, yeah. when I got, it was, was my turn to get out in the aisle. Uh, I heard my mother tell me in my head, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And that's why right. at that point I chose to at least look and wait in the back to make sure if anybody needed help, you know, at least I could help. Cause I was alive. I knew I was alive. And you weren't hurt. 
I wasn't hurt. I was moving. So mm-hmm. if anybody else needed help, that's why I waited in the back till we got everybody out. Then I started making my way out. And I got up to 10F, which is on the right side. And I was my game plan was to get out, just get out like everybody else did. But when I got there, I looked out. There's the wing was filled up, the boat was filled up. So that's why I was inside the plane, waist deep in the 36 degree water for about seven minutes, holding on to the lifeboat, keeping it close to the wing, okay. because it's already filled up and there's no room for me on the wing of the boat. Right. Well, yikes. Okay. So you were the last person on the plane then at that point. No, last no. passenger. Captain oh, last, last, last passenger. passenger. Okay. I was the last passenger uh, out of the back of the plane. That's correct. Wow. Okay. So th- out the back of the plane, 10F. Mm, yep. All right. Okay. I'm getting a visual now. Yep. So you just had to wait for another boat? Well, the boats were coming very quickly. That's why I'd say the real heroes were the first responders. Right. They were wow. there just a couple minutes. Yeah. They were coming and going. But okay. What, what, so what they were need- offloading folks from the life yeah. rafts. Okay. What, what happened to me was is um, I was still holding on to the lifeboat because it was floating down the river, and that way it gave people at least an opportunity to get on in the wing to walk off. But I was on the plane until and there was one of the boats that sort of hit the front of the plane as they were coming and going, you know, and I tell people that's not that big of a deal unless you're on the plane, and it shook the plane. I know you've seen a tugboat, but they're big, big, heavy boats. Mm. And sort of shifted the water. I felt water going up my back, and Ew. the immediate thought that I had was Titanic. Right. I said, man... You know, if you remember the movie, the the, the boats come up and it sucked everything down inside the plane with it. Yeah, and yeah. And my thought was, I remember, the, do not be sucked down in a plane. Right, right. Because you know, the worst thing you can do is be sucked down in a plane. Time. So how much time total in between, like, hitting uh, and before you get on, on your life life raft, boat, whatever? I didn't get on the boat, so I had to swim. Oh, so, you had to swim? Jeez, it, wow. Yeah, I had to swim in 36-degree water because what happened, it was about seven minutes into it after the plane crashed. Everybody's on the wing except for me hanging out of the boat, and the first picture was released on Good Morning America. It was me hanging on hanging on to the lifeboat hanging out of the plane, which was an amazing picture. I never saw it before then. But right. when so I jumped wow. in and started swimming because I thought the boat, the plane was going down. I said, this, this thing's going down, man. So you want to get away from the Titanic sinking. I'm getting sinking. away from the plane. Get away <laughs> right. from it. Okay. So I swam to the closest ferry, which was at the end of the wing. Okay. And that's how, that's how I got off the plane to the ferry and swam. And, and then I've, I don't know how I got on the ferry, but two guys picked me up because I couldn't climb the, the ladder. And they threw me on the ferry. And that's how I got off the plane. Wow. Swimming. To this day, EMTs, the only way they can rationalize how I happened is the adrenaline that I have and so when I talk to firemen, police, and military, they they agree. It's like they, you know, I tell people, you see these fire guys going into a fire. Mm. They got they can they they all day long, but when they're done, the first picture you see of a fireman after they come out is they're sitting on the curb and they have nothing left. Right. And that's what happened to me when I got on the ferry. I thought, man, I made it. I have nothing left. And yeah. that's the moment when I was so cold. It was eleven degrees. I was in thirty-six degree water for seven or seven plus minutes, and I couldn't feel anything. Mm. I was frozen yeah. to the point where I couldn't even think where I was at. <laughs> wow. So did you just like lose it, pass out? Nope. No? Uh, oh, wow. I, they got me, they got me, went to New, the New Jersey side because I okay. went out the right side and three people picked me up and carried me to the triage center, two EMTs and a guy from the Red Cross. And that's why I now speak nationally for the Red Cross because they, uh, they, they were part of, they picked me and put me to the triage center and that's when it all started happening. Um, they stripped my clothes off down to my underwear at that point. Right. Uh, to get the clothes off, and my EMT, you know, Heather, 
took great care of me. And she took my blood pressure was 190 over 120. And she goes, you got to go stat. You got to get out of here. Mm. You can have a heart attack or stroke, but you got to go now. And that's when all of a sudden they put me on priority and put me on a gurney and wheeled me out. It took me to the hospital. And that's when things started happening very quickly for me. Right. So they just had to warm you up, basically. And it took them five hours to do that. Right. Because my body was so cold because yeah. they couldn't Yeesh. wrap it with the tissues. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I found out from the doctors that basically everything south of my heart was frozen, the kidneys, stomach. So the, the test for me was, and it took me five hours, it was to be able to pee because my kidneys were so frozen Holy and they had to, had to warm up so, so slowly. Yeah. I was going to be toxic from yeah. the backup. Right, right, right. They said, you'll know. They said, you'll know. When you're ready to go is when you, you can pee. And it took me five hours to go to the bathroom. Wow. Wow. So how did they warm you up? Like in like a bath? Nope. They, the, the, they had, the nurses were sort of hitting my legs, but they had this big airbag they put on top of you. Oh, and I had okay. no, no clothes on. They put a little shirt around my shoulders and, you know, just to have something on because there were media taking pictures left and right. right. I had nothing on. Except mm. this big bag with hot air going up and down my body. Right. Five hours. <laughs> For five right? hours. So there's a picture of me with my shirt, this little shirt on, tubes in my nose and my arm, and this nothing on with a bag on top of me. You know? Love the hot air. <laughs> that was the picture we went on Associated Press. And that's the lesson I tell kids, Jeff. When your picture goes out, it goes around the world so quick, you have no control. And that's what happened. My name got out so quickly. And that's how my wife got it, started getting approached with the media here in Charlotte. Wow. Because all of a sudden, name got out, and they Googled yeah, my name, right. and they knew where we lived. Jeez. And that, just that quick. Wow. That quick. That quick. <laughs> yep. Tell these kids, if it goes out, you're done. It's, you have no control. Right. Right. Yeah. I had no control. <laughs> Not, so. at all. Not at all. So how long did you end up staying in the, in the hospital then? Did I they, stayed overnight. Okay. Just um, so they, they could check you out, right? They could check me out. The media, we agreed that Barry, who was in the hospital with me, he broke his sternum. Um, agreed to Good Morning America and, and early show on Fox and Friends the next morning. Because Canley, one of the part of the story that doesn't get told a lot is, you know, he and I stayed the night in the hospital, but 148 other passengers went home. They already had started going home. Right. So you know, they, could, they could find us. <laughs> So they, that's why we were doing all these interviews the next morning, you know, and, and, and so. And did, did they have the pilot on too? Well, he, no, if you remember that, if you go back to that day, the, the, the crew was locked up at the Marriott LaGuardia because they were doing drug tests and all oh, their. Oh, right, 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 right. You, right. The, you could not get to the crew. Okay. In fact, you didn't even know who the crew was until 24 hours later. They didn't even say it. Wow. You know, so right, right. Uh, no, that's why so they're, they're trying to interview. work out. Sort of pilot error issues, right? That's right. Okay. Drug testing and, and liability and everything else. So, and everybody else was doing their hometown stuff. So I remember seeing people. When I got back to Charlotte. Was already doing stuff on TV here in Charlotte, right? Like I did in New York. Right. You know? So you became instantly famous, like literally overnight. Yeah, sort of like way. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about fame. Infamous probably is a better term. <laughs> you know. So. You know. Wow! Wow! So yeah, I mean, it, when I when I first read your story, I was like, yeah, I mean, the closest thing that I've ever had to one of those moments where it could have went either way, and for me, it went the non-heroic way. I guess I I was in like this. Um, so I'll tell the story because it, it's mildly interesting, but it's the exact opposite of what happened to you as far as hero, heroic action goes. So um, 
I was driving home from work, going from, say, El Segundo to where I live near Carson Torrance area, right? It's like a, say, 30-minute drive without traffic. And I was going from one freeway to another. And all of a sudden, you know, in pretty rapid succession, I saw a little smoke, maybe like a quarter mile ahead of me in the far left lane. And I'm in the merge lane, so over to the, the right side. And all of a sudden, like 30 seconds, maybe less from that, smoke that I saw I it's like I was in a movie car accident where cars were like flipping over and smoke everywhere and swerving cars and my memory (laughs) tells me what I did was I lightly took my foot off the gas Mm. and kept going straight that's what it seemed like I happened and then and then uh you know, I'm looking at cars. This guy's turned over. This guy's on his side. That guy's flying over there. And and I'm kind of just like going straight and being calm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I get to the other end. And, and then I, I look behind me and I see that I'm clear, right? And nothing's coming at me anymore. And the very first thought I have is, woohoo, I, I survived. And I tore ass home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was it and then when i got home and i calmed down uh i went oh i could have stopped the help see so in my situation i didn't do the thing where i you know pull over and help people (laughs) well i did not right well so i was definitely in shock so and you know You never know. You don't know what you're going to do in that situation. So, and that's why I tell people you don't judge people in that moment because you don't know how they're going to react. You don't know what you're going to do until it happens to you. That's right. Yeah. So, but you did the right thing. So good for you. (laughs) I hope so. When I get to heaven, I hope I get to get told that. So, well, well, you know, hey, you you helped. You could have just like bolted or pushed people. Or (laughs) there's tons of different things you could have done, but right. What you really did was pretty damn cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm on. I'm honored to be able to be a part of it and be able to just be a little part of it. And that's why I'm excited to see how they do this movie, Sully, coming out September 9th. Right. Uh, and how they reenacted some of these things. Because I think, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll do some Hollywood stuff in it. Of course. But I think, I think Clint Eastwood's going to be pretty straight, straight arrow on it. Right. Right. And that's, that's an interesting combo, Clint Eastwood and, and Tom Hanks together. Yep. I don't First know if that's time. ever yep. happened. Right. <laughs> First time they've ever been together. Right. I understand. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the book. So, okay. yeah. Um, when did you decide to write the book? Well, it was actually two Augusts ago. My former assistant, Vicki, and she and I were talking one day, and she's, she said, listen, you know, if nothing else except for your kids and grandkids, why don't you record? Everything that happened that day and afterward, just sort of get it out there. So, you know, if you're, if something happens, at least they'll hear it from your words, what happened. Right. So we spent eight or nine hours audio taping pretty much moment by moment, you know, minute by minute, whatever it was, right. what happened that day, next, next day and all this stuff, which is good stuff. Mm. But then we sort of started listening to it. Like there's, there's a book here. There's, there's a lot of, there's like, there's a theme of like 12 different things that you and others did that day that not only translated that day but can translate to the business because a lot of things I used in business in Laura Tony I did that day right, so that's right, how we okay. came up with the, the idea for the book and then fortunately for me Cindy who was Tony Robbins creative assistant director and I are friends and I approached her and she's like listen 
you know, you got all this stuff. What, what City does extremely well is bring all that disparate content together and get it in a way that's cohesive. Right. So right. she and I got together and we put put these ideas together, and that's how Moments Matter came to play. And and we were talking about a title, and I just said one day, I said, you know what? I, what I figured out after doing all this stuff, you know, putting this thing together, is that all the moments in my life did matter. And mm, she said, for sure. we said that's the title. She said yeah. that's the title. So yeah. that's how we came up with the title. That's awesome. And when did when did it come out? It, it uh, we debuted on uh, January nineteenth of this year up in uh, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, and I went to I did it at the hospital. They were kind enough, and we donated one hundred percent of the proceeds that night to the hospital foundation. So oh, other nice. people who go through a challenge yeah. up there, like I did, will have some funds to be able to get them through that. Like I got through it. Amazing story. Dave Sanders. So, uh, Dave Sanderson. Sorry about that. <laughs> your uh, your one sheet is is pretty cool, but like I, I want I wanted to say like I have a black and white printer, so it looks like your name is Abe Anderson. <laughs> okay. uh, you know what? Just don't call funny. me late. To, just don't call me late to dinner. No, I, I just thought that was funny. That's all. Yep. Dave hey. Sanderson, and your website is davesandersonspeaks.com. So That's I'm sure correct. folks can find more about the book and more about your speaking. And if they want to book you or hire you as a consultant or a speaker, they can find out all about that at davesandersonspeaks.com. Did I get that right? Most definitely. And, you know, this part, por- portion of the proceeds from the book go back to the Red Cross. Oh, great. This year. Wow. So I'm donating a portion of the proceeds, and that's exciting. And, and yeah, I give updates. Uh, I'm doing the, getting into social media stuff. So on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, um, if you follow me there, you'll uh, pr- I encourage you to do that because that's where I'm going to give updates about the movie and some of the th- exciting things that are going to be happening over the next several months. So when's that movie coming out? September 9th is being uh, premiered. Wow, and, uh, September 9th. Yeah. Very excited for uh, Captain Sully. He and I spoke together a couple months ago in Bloomington, Illinois, and it was great to be with him again and share the stage with him. So uh, do you know who's going to play you? Um, I don't know if anybody's going to play me. Oh, uh, really? I saw, I, saw the, I saw the trailer. and the, All I know is this. I tell people this. If you look at the trailer and watch one of the scenes, the guy who was in my seat's got a bald head just like me, so at least they got that right. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I don't know who's playing who, but so they didn't uh, ask was, you, huh? No, but no. Uh, fortunately, some of us got invited to do shoot a couple scenes last October, and uh, oh, hopefully, really? God willing, at least one of them gets in the movie, so my kids can sort of see that uh, all this, uh, how this all came about. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Dave. This has been a blast. Thanks for Same sharing here. your story with me. Thank you, and thank God bless you, and God bless what you're doing, and and uh, thank you very much for having me today. All right, have a good one. You too. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. <laughs>